Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast that helps product teams define, build, market, launch, and price innovative products. Today we're focused on price. I'm Mark Stiving, a pragmatic marketing instructor and a pricing expert. Now today our guest is Reed Holden. I'm thrilled to have Reed because I got to tell you, many, many years ago, I was a professor teaching pricing at Ohio State University. And one of the textbooks we used was The Strategy and Tactics of Pricing, Second Edition, written by Tom Nagel and Reed, who's with us today. I've read that book so many times, those concepts are just ingrained into my head. Now, since then, Reed's written a couple of other books, with his most recent being Negotiating with Backbone, Eight Strategies to Defend Your Price and Value. Truly a fascinating book. He also wrote an article for the spring 2015 issue of Pragmatic Marketer Magazine, uh, the article's titled, Make Salespeople the Champion of Your Pricing Strategy. Reed is a luminary in pricing, and he's one of my favorite pricing people. Welcome, Reed. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. How did you get into pricing? You were obviously into pricing before I was, so how did you get into this? Well, let me ask you a question. When did you get into pricing? Oh, God. Now, which story am I going to tell? The 12-year-old story? So that would be 72, or when I was a doctoral student, and that would be 94-ish. So if you if um, if it was ninety four I get into pricing just a couple of years earlier than you, and if it was seventy two you were in pricing way before I was. <laughs> let me answer your question. I um <clears throat> I had been actually a um a product and marketing director for an organization. Um, ended up uh, taking control of the sales force. I got laid off and decided that I wanted to learn um, how to be a college professor. So I went down that path. As luck would have it, um, uh, Boston University, which is where I was a, a student, had just hired a, a new pricing guy from University of Chicago by the name of Tom Nagel. And as I uh, got through the program, I, um, uh, when Tom published his first book, and I think it was 87, and feel free to correct me on that, I wrote the uh, teacher's manual for that. When I um, uh, finished my degree, I began working with Tom as he began developing an organization called Strategic Pricing Group. And in 1995, I decided to take a one-year leave of absence from teaching, which I absolutely loved, and um, uh, try to see if we could grow the Strategic Pricing Group. And we did. We grew it up to 65 professionals, and I guess you could say I've been a pricing guy ever since. Yeah. Why are you still in it? Most people come into pricing and then they go off and do something else. Well, I, I kind of am doing something else, and you, you've got to know that, well, I, I actually still spend a lot of time in pricing, but when um, I sold my ownership of the Strategic Pricing Group, uh, the reason we decided to split was, that, you know, Tom wanted to be a pricing guy, just a pricing guy. And, you know, I am a, a belief that, if you're going to do something in an organization, you have to make sure it works for the organization. And if you're going to price, you've got to – the word that we're using um, is, is moving from price uh, setting to price getting. That is, if you're going to set a price, you darn well better get it. And uh, where pricing fails in many organizations is as it goes through the sales force. So I've actually spent – I spent a number of years um, – uh, working on a, another book, another model that you're, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point uh, in negotiating with Backbone. 
And as soon as I published that, I went back onto pricing to realize some of the problems that pricing uh, has, um, and quite frankly, product managers have in dealing with the sales force. Yeah, pricing is such a big topic, and there's so many little pieces that you know you've got the whole issue of who's who's negotiating. You know. And usually that's our sales force, and how are we working with them? So yeah, and um, it's yeah. it's also senior executives because uh, you know by my experience, um, it's uh, senior executives cause as many if not more problems than salespeople. I I would agree with that one too. <laughs> um, before we jump into interacting with salespeople, though, I saw you give a speech once. Uh, it was a long, long time ago, but in that speech, you gave one of the most impactful stories about not being a commodity and I and I still even to this day I have high tech people in my classes and they say oh we make a commodity and that just yeah. frustrates me could you share with our listeners that story sure and you know and you got to know that I use that story we we deal with uh, with some of the largest specialty product services in the world uh, firms in the world and I use that story which and it's become quite a uh, I guess a famous one but a number of years ago, we were working with a company um, uh, that produced crushed stone. And in our book, we refer to them as the dirt company. They gave us permission uh, to use that description. And went and talked to, I don't know, um, they had uh, perhaps 50 divisions. Went and talked to the general managers of each division. And two of the general managers, you know, listened to what we said about understanding your value, understanding what you can do for customers and went out and had conversations with customers. <clears throat> and what they discovered was that their customers placed high value on being able to get their stone uh, quickly. You know, because a, a truck, you put a truck on the road, a truck on the road is going to cost you somewhere between 90 and $180 an hour. And if that truck has to wait half an hour, it costs them money. Now, there are two primary customers in the stone industry are either asphalt contractors, manufacturers, um, or paving manufacturers or contractors. And they all compete on price. In any market, there are anywhere between 8 and 20 quarries that are often owned by single individuals, and all they want to do is push out the rock. Their incremental cost of producing the rock is uh, a blasting cap, some dynamite, and a way of loading it into trucks, crushing it up. Uh, so their incremental costs are relatively low. And this company recognized that they had a huge fixed cost of just uh, siting the quarries and recognized it was a scarce resource they had to maximize the income for. So what they did is, you know, to simplify, they put together a strategy uh, based on the insight that time was value. And when you go into one of their quarries, they have two gates. Uh, at gate B, there's a long line of trucks. And at gate A, there is no line of trucks, and there's a D5 dozer sitting there with a pile of three-inch stone ready to load it into the, into the trucks. And when the salespeople go out and have a discussion with a customer, you know, a customer will say, what, how much your rock costs today? And the salesperson said, our rock costs 1150 And the, um, uh, the uh, customer always comes back and says, well, your competition in, is in here at, at $11. 
And the salesperson goes back and says, no problems, we can meet your $11 price, but you have to go to gate B. And it leads to a discussion um, about how it, uh, gate A really saves the money. And this company has quietly turned into the number one provider of stone in the United States, and they went through the uh, downturn in 2009, actually growing revenue and profitability. And we use it as a point, as you do, that, you know, here's an ultimate commodity product, lots of competition, price-sensitive customers, and they figured out how to use services to differentiate the commodity and, and really succeed in that process. And, you know, you're in high-tech. You know, I cut my teeth as a consultant in the semiconductor business, and we hear these guys saying, oh, it's a commodity. Well, geez, you know, it's not a commodity. It's it's providing value to a disk driver or a computer, and you got to learn to understand what it is and leverage it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. Now, I want to quickly put that in pragmatic marketing words just so that mm-hmm. all of our listeners can really hear this, and that is, look, we've got a product that's called Dirt. We sell it to everybody on a price basis, and there's just no differentiation. And one group went out and listened for market problems. Yeah and said, hey, we can now go solve those problems, and now they've differentiated, and they get paid for it. And that's awesome. I love that story. Well, and, and it gets to the issue of what you, what a product manager should be looking at. And, you know, I spent enough time as a product manager to understand, you know, what the game is. I was at a new product rollout with a sales team in Paris a couple of years ago, and the product managers got up and talked about how great the products were. There are two of them. Great, great presentation. Highly polished practice. And at the end of the presentation, one of the salesperson raised his hand and says, can you tell us how this is different than the competition? Because that's what they face in the market. And the product, both product managers were kind of sheep and said, well, we haven't caught up to the competition yet. And, you know, it's kind of like, geez, you got to understand who you are and how you're different before you price stuff and drive it through the sales force. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into the sales force piece. One of the things that we have to do as product people is figure out how our salespeople are able to, well, to maintain our pricing, whatever pricing we set. And one of the rules that I put in the price class when I teach them, uh, my team is salespeople have to be confident that they can win at the price that we set. Amen. And, and so what kind yeah. of tools would you recommend that product people are giving salespeople so that, so that they can be successful? Well, first of all, I want to compliment you on, on recognizing that. You know, there's a bottom line. If salespeople aren't confident in the products that and services they're selling, they're going to discount each and every time. So the basic tool that we recommend is if a product manager is uh, developing a new or a modified product, they have to have a good understanding of how that new or modified product is different than the competition and what that difference is worth. And and, and we, co- we call that um, uh, value, and that value Having an understanding of that value gives the salespeople confidence that the price has been set to reflect that value, and it is a fair price to customers. And um, uh, you know, it, 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 and it's something that can be done with you know fancy research. Um, but you know, I'm I'm a believer in back of envelope calculations that salespeople can understand. And with that calculation, may come a couple of stories, and um, and give the salespeople. Um, you know, the word we use is backbone in the negotiations process. So I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you this, Reed, but even when I talk to product managers, they don't think that way. So no. they're not thinking, how is my product different from my competitors, and what's that differentiation worth to my customers? Right. 
But that's the basic question in new products. Yeah, absolutely, because if we don't have differentiation, we're not getting paid for it. Right. So I, I, I find that fascinating and amazing. So one of the things that I also – maybe I get in trouble for this, but one of the things I suggest to my, my product managers is try a ranking salespeople based on their average discount. Is oh, that a big absolutely. no-no, or are we okay? Oh, no. I, in fact, if you look at a pricing book uh, we wrote a couple of years ago called Pricing with Confidence, the, the first chapter was Kick the Discounting Habit. In fact, let's let's take that one to the mat. Um, you know, there is there are some salespeople who who discount a lot, and there are some salespeople who don't. I'm a believer that you take the salespeople who discount a lot, give them a warning, and tell them to stop. And if they don't stop, you terminate them. Selling is the process of convincing customers that your product is worth it for them to use. Discounting, because they don't understand that is a failure of salespeople. Now, I want to make a point. Often the salespeople are poorly trained and poorly compensated in that process. So the failure is rarely salespeople. The failure is often the system and the information they get from the product side of the business. Uh, I, I could buy that completely. Yeah. So on the comp side, the compensation piece, uh, we, they have to be motivated. Yep. And, and there's always this argument of revenue. Well, I mean, most salespeople get compensated on revenue, right? Are they hitting their number or not? Right. And I know you're not a huge fan of that. Well, I'm not a huge fan of it as long as the salespeople have control over price. And the reason that I'm not a fan of it if the salespeople have a control over price is salespeople are compensated to drive revenue, not profits. And they're going to discount all day long in order to drive the revenue. And it gets to the basic question that I often ask senior managers, which is more important, revenue or profitability? And, you know, I think they're getting, managers are getting smarter today, but they still struggle with that basic question. You want, hmm. if, if you give salespeople control over price, <clears throat> you have to adjust compensation to reflect the discounting that they give. Along the way, the salespeople have to be trained on the value of products, and services, and the justification for a particular price relative to the competition. This compensation on revenue, I, I, I see companies, I see big name companies that aren't covering their cost of capital because of that specific issue. So, so let me push back just a little bit. Yep. I hear people tell me that if, if my salesperson gives a 10% discount, then they also get 10% less revenue, and so that's part of their compensation, so they're not going to give those discounts. You've got to know that I've had that pushback before, Mark. I'm sure you have. <laughs> so if you have a company that's got a 30% profit margin and the salesperson gets a 10% discount, the salesperson has given up 33% of the profitability, and they only see a 10% reduction in commission. And let's say they give a 30%. You look at the discounting habits of, of most salespeople is they're giving discounts at 20 to 30 percent. Heck, in the medical community, there is an expectation you're going to give a discount of 35 percent. And in doing that, they give up almost all of the firm's profitability. And I want to make this point again. The problem is not the salespeople. The problem yeah. is the system that encourages them to do that. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so the, so the other pushback I always hear is never tell your salespeople your costs. And so if we're talking margin, we're really talking costs. 
Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, you know, I I don't believe I, – I think by showing them costs, it gives them something to focus on, and it gives them a line to dive to when they're trying to close a deal. And you you got to know the, the book that you just mentioned, and you've allegedly read so many times, you, you look at one of the appendices, we talk about how to adjust compensation systems to reflect costs. I believe what you need is you need um, profit – based adjustments to the compensation system. And you can do that by saying the following. Listen, we're going to charge you 100 bucks for this um, product. If you give a 10% discount, your commission is going to go from 10% to 2%. And by the way, I apologize for the comment about allegedly. I know you've read that thing probably more times than I have. No, no it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother <laughs> me at all. So... Okay, well, so the, so there's the one other big one that, that I, I see a lot, and I actually show this to my students in class, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure how to fix it yet. And that is salespeople, sales managers, sales directors always seem to go to whatever discount authority they have right. 90% of the time. Absolutely. It's probably that, that probably is a bad number, and it's higher than that. Okay. And so is there a solution to that? Sure, you take away the discount authority. Oh, okay. Salespeople are part – it's complicated for salespeople. And you can't wave a magic wand and make it all better, but you have to start changing those behaviors. And, and you know, we're in the, we're in the process of uh, doing this now for a company. And what we did is, is saying, hey, listen, you know, you run, a, you run a discount plot, and the discount plot – Shows that the you know the ten thousand dollar customers are getting the same discount as the million dollar customers, so you take the discount authority away on the 50, ten thousand to fifty thousand dollar accounts. You do it a step at a time, and you also begin a program that begins to show the salespeople why that's a reasonable thing, why they're doing. I mean, a, a great way to get a sales team on your side is to show them the discount plot. A lot of pricing managers don't do it. A lot of product managers don't do it. Show them the discount plot. Let's see if we get a problem. We have, we have these all these accounts that are getting discounts. They shouldn't be getting discounts, so we're going to stop it. Everybody okay with that? I've done that with a number of sales teams, and once they see the plot, the sales guys go, oh, geez, we got to stop this. Okay, so, so a discount plot, is that essentially a scatter plot with the discount instead of a price? Yes. On one axis? Okay. Yeah, and the customer size on the other. Customer size, okay, or, or size, deal size, something like that. Whatever well, should be driving discount behavior. Yeah, you got to be careful of deal size because you have some big customers that order a whole bunch of small stuff and some small customers that order one big stuff. So you have to be careful of you know, how you interpret all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. what we said in the Pricing with Confidence book in that first chapter is you got to – just draw a line in the sand and identify where you're going to stop discounting. And what, what everyone fears when they do that is we're going to lose all this business. And what they discover when they do that is they don't lose the business. It's amazing. We have such fear about losing deals. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that actually brings me to the first question I asked you. I asked if you were going to be on my, would be on my podcast. And, and I got an email from another pricing consultant and they said, Mark, could you help me think through this negotiation I'm having with this client? Huh. Yeah. They came... <laughs> I, I loved it, right? And so, so they came in and they said, look, first, I'm, I know I'm up against two other pricing consultants. 
the first time the buyer came back and said, we need a 7% discount, we said, yeah. okay. And then they came back and said, we need another discount. What should we do? And here's what was going through my mind. I mean, lots of things. But, but the thing that really confuses me about this is this is a smaller pricing consultant. This deal's important to them. Yeah. And I would say don't give the discount, but if they lose the deal, it was important to them. How, how do you handle that? Well, move beyond the importance of the discount to you and recognize the importance of a client's doing business with you. The way most organizations make decisions is they make a decision to use a, a particular, you know, we're going to get into a piece of business and we need a consultant to help us. Who are the best consultants? Let's talk to a bunch of consultants. And they select one. They don't tell them that. What they then do is they then go and play, what the word we use is they play poker with that consultant. And in order to play poker with that consultant, they get two other suckers at the table to come up with low prices and to force the prices of that consultant down. I mean, and it's not just a consulting issue. It's happening in business all over the world today. And what, so what the procurement people do is they have games that they play in order to get the discounts. The consultant, not having an understanding of what their position is at the table, starts discounting. Now, in no cases is discounting appropriate. You either have the winning hand and you shouldn't be discounting, or you should walk away from the table. Because you're not going to win anyway. Right. You've either won it already or you haven't won it already. Right. The discount and is irrelevant. The word that we use is at any t at any um, in any game, there are suckers. If you don't know who the sucker is, it's probably you. Yeah, that's a sad thought. Right, but it's a, you know, there's a, a small consultant desperate for the business. They get a call from some company and say, well, why don't you put together a price on this? So the consultant, you know, spends three weeks putting together a proposal, sends it in, and then, then, then the procurement people start playing games with them. Can you give me a discount? Sure. And then what they're doing is they're negotiating with somebody else who's probably the preferred vendor. Business does not come out of the blue. They either know who you are and want to do business with you, or they don't. If they don't and you're in the game, the only reason you're in the game is to drive down somebody else's price, period. Yeah, so you you should already know up front what's going to happen. You betcha. Yeah. And, and so let me tell the exact same story from the other side. I, my last real job before I worked for Pragmatic Marketing, I was director of pricing at a large semiconductor company. I drove the purchase of a multimillion-dollar pricing system. Yep. And, and I went into procurement and I said, we're going to go buy this. And they said, great, give me two other companies that I could use. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I was watching the entire process because I knew what we were going to do the entire time, but the, the vendor never knew that. And you get a great discount, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, in, in fact, I, um, we wrote a book that started off <clears throat> when a, um, a CEO of a software company uh, that was trying to sell – um, some software to, I think it was Cisco, and, you know, they went through the entire approval process, and at the very end they thought they were going to close the deal, and procurement showed up at a meeting and said, we're going to do the stomp. You know what the stomp is? The stomp is when we stomp on our vendors. And, you know, that kind of stuff is, you know, those guys, that that kind of a procurement person is just a clown. And you got to understand that. And, you know, they had already selected this company. There's no need to discount. They, you know what they do? They discounted. Why? Because they wanted the business. And they didn't know. They didn't know. 
Yeah. They, they, by Great. the way, do now. <laughs> Good. Hey, Reed, uh, we're out of time, but i got to thank you so much for your time today. I have had a great time chatting with you. If anyone wants to contact you, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, great. Uh, so, first of all, thank you, Mike. I, I always enjoy speaking with you over the years, and it's been great to do this. If people want to contact me, the best place to do it is via email, and the email is rholden at holdenadvisors, A-D-V as in Victor, I-S-O-R-S dot com. Excellent, thanks. And, and to our listeners, I hope you got value out of this podcast today. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. If you have praise, you have suggestions for improvement, you have questions you want us to address in the future, maybe even a random thought or two, all of it's welcome. Would you send those comments, though, to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com? Also, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live. See you next week.